Before we get into today's topic, uh, I'd like to mention that the Digital Broker Podcast is brought to you by NDO Technologies. Ryan, you've got some experience with them, don't you? I, I do, and I, and I really like NDO for multiple purposes. One, as we've talked about, it, it, it helps define that customer experience. The other is the reduction in E&O that you're going to see. I believe that a well-implemented NDO solution will, will limit your E&O exposure because you're getting data one time and reusing that data in the same bucket over and over. If you haven't seen NDO, you should check it out at least understand what you're missing out in. I, I think it's a it's a great product for both client experience and process improvement internally, and you limit your E and O at the same time. Well, that's great. People uh, listening can go ahead and get a demo. Uh, go to the website that's used u s e n d o i n d i o dot com. Click on the Get Started button and schedule a time for a demo. And be sure to let them know that you came from the Digital Broker Podcast. Welcome to the Digital Broker Podcast with Steve Anderson and Ryan Deeds, where we help agents and brokers drive profitability through operational excellence. Hello, and welcome to The Digital Broker. I'm Steve Anderson with my co-host, Ryan Deeds. Thanks for joining us for this episode, where we're going to be talking about onboarding new staff. So, Ryan, I'm going to throw it out to you first. One, what is onboarding, and why does it matter to an agent broker? I think when you think about an employee coming into your organization, first impressions matter, right? They, they matter in a one-to-one -one relationship, they matter in a business-to-consumer relationship, and they matter to an employee-to-employee-er relationship. The better th that your onboarding process is, and I, I view onboarding as the initial bringing on of an employee, the transference of knowledge to that employee, and then allowing that employee to understand what they can and can't do and their capabilities inside that organization, right? After they get out of the onboarding process, if the onboarding process has been effective, they know who to go to to solve what problem. They know what tools the organization has access to. They know, you know, the, their different chain of command, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And they, they know their role and what success looks like for them. I, I don't see a lot of great onboarding in the insurance agency space. And since I've only been in the insurance agency space, I don't know if that's indicative of, of business as a whole. But I think it's one of those challenges that as we need to maintain the employees that we're bringing on, you know, if you have a great HR person that's just giving you great staff that's coming on, how do you keep them? You know, and that starts with that onboarding process, giving them an indication of how organized the, the organization is, how purposeful the organization is. You really want to leave them with a good experience. It's like going out to dinner the first time at a restaurant. You know, what is that like? If the experience sucks, you're not going back. You don't want to be there. You right. Know? Well, and I think it's, again, as you've said, taking that new employee and making sure they have as best an experience as possible and get what they need. Mm -hmm. And I go back to just the whole term onboarding. Where does that come from? Right. I mean, I think probably on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think the tech industry mm -hmm. ha has, at least for me, that's where I've heard it a lot. Right. Don't know if they, I'm sure they didn't create it, but this whole idea of bringing a new customer on board, right? When you download a new app, there's a set procedure and process that that developer takes you through because they want you to engage with that app. Well, that's that same idea here with, with employees. And I think your comment, I want to highlight and make sure people didn't miss it, with new employees, probably younger, 
you know, it's, it's different today, maybe whether we like it or not. To illustrate that, and I think the issue that we're facing as an industry, recently, uh, I was talking to an agency owner, 40 people in the agency. We were talking about, you know, new employees and finding and hiring and, and how to find new employees. And she said that in the last 18 months, seven of her employees had retired. Mm. I said, that's a lot right? 40-person agency. Think of the knowledge drain. Think of just finding somebody to replace to get things done that need to get done. And I asked her, I said, well, have you projected out what the next few years look like? She said, yeah, I'm going to probably lose another 12 in the next two years, sure. maybe three years. And I think that's the driving 50%, thing. 50%, almost 50% of her employees will turn over. And so the key here is how do we Certainly fine. Well, we're not going to talk about that right now, but how once you find somebody to come into the organization, how do you make sure, and I think your phrase was, that they stay? That's right. Right? Yeah. Because that's what ultimately we want. And having a process in place versus what I think happens all too often, which is, hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. You're going to sit with Sally for, you know, the first week, and then, you know, you can jump in and sink or swim almost. That, that's right. I mean, right? they go to their team. You know, they come in. They do their HR rigmarole, mm -hmm. right? Then they ultimately have a meeting with IT where you run them through tools, and they get dropped off with their team, and then they're expected to do work. Three months later, when they didn't learn osmotically what the process was, and they create a problem... Whose fault is that? That's not that employee's fault, right? right. That's that's our fault as as the organization, and so that's those are the problems that you start to see. And it's it's funny because it's not like okay, I, I I did it and I see it right away. It's you don't do it and you have these constant ripple effects down the stretch. You know, it's just a it. You have a lot of different issues that pop up because you don't have good onboarding processes to deal with these. They don't know the texting policy. They don't know the the what they're supposed to be able to communicate and what not. What goes in the system and what doesn't. So you got all kinds of gaps and holes that you got to fill. You know. And this is especially important for certainly somebody coming from outside the industry, right? Because mm -hmm. now we have a whole insurance education piece as well as organizational culture piece that we need to take them through. And it takes time. Yeah. And it takes an investment, right, on the agency side to get that employee up to speed so that they can, you know, stand on their own. Well, I think what you said initially is is the kicker. I, I don't know that I've ever been in an agency meeting where knowledge perpetuation from seasoned employees that are close to retirement to new employees coming on, that transference is not a part of the conversation. Because we have a lot more outflux than we do inflow, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've got to maximize the opportunity to succeed for those folks that are new to the organization and new to the industry. If they come in and they have a terrible experience the first year or two, they're done with insurance. I'm going someplace else. Well, we already have a bad reputation just getting them in the door the first time. Right. Much less having them. experience, not having a great experience, and, and, and they leave and, and go elsewhere. And I think the independent broker and independent agency are the ones at most risk because how do you not be a graduator, right? How do you just not, gra you know, a staff member comes in, new to the industry, two years, they're in your 50-person shop, 
but you don't have you, there's there's not a compelling reason to stay or they had a bad experience well now they can hop over to willis or hop over to one of these larger brokers that have the ability to create all these mechanisms you gotta you gotta be able to hold on to that gold that 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 person that you invested time into it's a heartbreaker when they leave yeah and something that comes to mind is when i started yay these many years ago <laughs> the real kind of path was insurance companies trained you went to work for an insurance company i did actually for uh, 18 months to two years and then went on the agency side but got my basic insurance knowledge and got trained and and uh, what is insurance did uh, you know underwriting and some things like that certainly producers so producer schools right some of the sales training stuff and there's still a number of those out there but it seems like the carriers also aren't training as much at least of what's coming into the agency force so for those owners out there that have kind of thought well that you know i'll rely on the carrier to do that that's just not as much a viable option as it has been i think in the past i uh, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I, you see sales training for the producers uh, that the carriers offer. Producer go out to San Diego for two weeks and go through a sales training. But there sure as heck isn't that offered to the account managers. Now, they'll come in and do CE for us sometimes, uh -huh. right, to, to check the compliance blocks. But I think you as an organization, you want to define what your culture is. You want to define the experience for that employee. If they're going to stay, you want them to know why they're staying. And if they're going to leave, then, it, you know, you need to understand what drove them to that, you know. So you can look at that in the hiring process too. Right? Absolutely. Are there indicators? Are there things we should look for? Are there certain types of people that fit better uh, than others? Sure. And so, you know, you don't want to hire somebody, train them, and then they leave because that's just really expensive. That's right. And I guess I would say at this point, you know, which is the higher expense, bringing somebody in and them leaving, or investing in an onboarding process and really a train, really. Aren't we really talking about a training curriculum? Absolutely. I mean, it's training on your own culture. Uh, you know, you know, I always see that quote on LinkedIn that says, you know, what happens if we train these people and they leave? And the guy says, what happens if we don't and they stay? Right. Right. I mean, and yep. so it is, it, it, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow because I think oftentimes C-levels and managers think, yeah, we, we have a decent onboarding process. I think if you ask a staff member that recently went through your onboarding process and said, hey, how was that? They may look at you and say, there was an onboarding process, <laughs> right? I mean, and so that those are ways that you can kind of gauge by asking newish employees how that process went for them and where, you know, was it an experience that they felt was defined or was it you were hired and you were kind of thrown to the wolves? Thrown to the wolves, right. Right. So, so talk a little bit about what a good onboarding process looks like. Well, I mean, I think I have a conceptual idea of what a good onboarding process looks like. I mean, you know, it's again, it's one of those things that you iterate through over time. I'm lucky because I do work with an HR individual that is just really puts a lot of effort and energy into this. So when you look at where, where my organization was in 2012, 2013, it was very much that you got hired, you got stuck with your team and immediately, you know, you went to work really. You had the papers right. on your desk. Yeah. 
Now we're being a little bit more proactive. We're actually using, most places I think probably use some kind of personality indicator to make sure that the job role is matched up with, with what you want to do. You don't want a real detailed person being a producer for the most part. You need an out, kind of an outgoing individual. You don't want somebody who's real strategic and in an account manager role because you need to be in the, in the, the weeds. In the weeds, yeah, right. So I think first and foremost, matching the right opportunity with the right individual. Right. That, that's a, a critical component to it. So let me ask you this. Job descriptions. Absolutely. What a pain in the butt, though. Oh, aren't they? <laughs> it's such a pain in the butt. And they're vital. They are. They are. Because why? Because it sets the expectation for what success looks like, in my opinion, for that individual. Right. If the individual it all it also really sets the framework for growth for that individual. Hey, if you're an account manager, one, here are the responsibilities that you have. Here's what we expect you to take care of. Here's the things that you're going to be judged on to determine if you're doing a good job or not. Right. I think everybody wants to do a good job. I mean, for the most part. And I think that they want clarity on what that looks like. Right. So I think the job description begins that. And we've spent, I think, probably any agency that we're talking to has spent an inordinate amount of time on job descriptions. Well, unfortunately, I think a lot of agencies don't. Yeah. Um, and I think that may be a beginning problem where they actually don't spend enough time. They use some generic job mm -hmm. description because they are such a pain. Right. Now, I get the reason why. Well, there's fear, too, I think, in some, some principles. And some people say, well, if we have a really tightly defined job description, then they're going to say, hey, that wasn't my job description. Right. And I think that most people just need to understand that's not the kind of person you're hiring. You know. <laughs> but it is a guideline. It is a guideline. For both you and the person right. to really understand. And, and frankly, if you look at a job description of an account manager, I describe it in one phrase. Everything. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's how they feel too. That's right? how they feel too. Right. So they're a catch-all. Right. Which then, how, yeah. how, if I'm doing everything, what can I be great at? Right? Exactly. And so, you know, I think strategizing on the value proposition that those positions have and what are the things that they can do better than anybody else or any other role in the organization and then focusing that work effort on that, that's going to drive happiness and satisfaction if you match the, the employee up with the role correctly. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think the job description is more than just a list of here's the activities that sure. you do, right? Here's the mindset. Mm -hmm. Here, potentially, again, I know agency size here makes a, certainly a big difference, but here's the career path. Here's where this fits into an overall longer-term career path for that individual. Again, I think if we're talking about bringing younger people in, they're in many cases thinking about where am I going? Yeah. Right. Am I going to be in this same job for 20 years? And that might not appeal to me uh, as much it maybe as it has in the past I mean, with our account managers. I mean, their whole life, you know, in the last 10, 15 years has been metrics. How many views do I get on this post? How many friends do I have on that? How many streaks do I have alive on Snapchat? Right. And so, in, in for the employees that I talk to, what they would really love is here's my bar graph. Here's where I am today. When I hit this level, I get X, right? right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it, it, work doesn't translate that easily to that, right? You have objective goals and you have subjective goals. And, you know, there are certain parts of the job that, that might not be able to be quantified as effectively, you know. But I do think that having good job descriptions and having all parties understand what that role is supposed to do is critical to the long-term success of that employee and, and feeling like they're empowered. I think the other thing potentially the job description can do, if created appropriately, is actually move training from a organization, here's, you have to do this, 
to an individual who says, in order for me to move forward to that next position, that's that right. next pay scale, that next, whatever that is, I, I need more training in this. That's right. So it actually shifts the responsibility for training from a top down to a bottom up. That's right. And, and I think then we get more engaged employees who say, okay, I want to improve. And in order to do that, I need to learn this, or I need this skill, or I need to have more software training, or whatever. Whatever the case whatever may be. Whatever that might be. That's right. Here's what I need in order to, to move forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, for us, most of our job descriptions have these key goals that are in them. You know, you have, like, two personal goals and then two work-related goals. The challenge is, if you're in a smallish agency, you better not say, hey, you need to have 50 hours of X education to be able to move to this next level, because that newer employee may get that knocked out in two weeks, three weeks. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I say size, it does make a difference here in terms of how much you can create a, a, a career path for somebody. Right. And if you can't create different positions, then I think you can create different skills, different abilities so you can keep people engaged by letting them try things, new things, right? And what you do, you end up, I mean, it's almost gamification. It really is. Like when you look at our roles, we have an AMA1, an AMA2, an AMA3, an AM1, an AM2, an AM3. And there's... AMA? Uh, account manager assistant. Assistant, so okay. That's so a, three levels. That's right, that's right. And then account manager. And three levels. And three levels. That's right. The size of book that you can handle is determined by that. Your pay band is determined by that. The different responsibilities. An AM, an AM3 has a different responsibility set than an AM1. And typically that's going to be, you know, an AM3 may be, look, we expect you to have an $800,000 book, mm -hmm. right? And you're going to be dealing with a multitude of different risks. Where an AM2 may be hanging out in... You know, something with, with less diverse risk. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're in middle market training up and all this jazz. But yes, again, that that's one of the ways that organizations can kind of scale that to, to help still have progression um, and retain those employees. I mean, you've got to retain the, the new blood coming in and keep the, the seasoned folks out there that know all the stuff. Right. <laughs> right. Those those people are so critical to our industry because they become the the... the resources that we leverage to figure out the coverage issues. Really institutional knowledge at that yes. point in terms of depth and yeah. oh yeah, we saw that before and here's what happened. Or niching out. When you when you think about agencies' core prop you know, values today, they're looking at niching out very heavily. Well that's because you might have a person in social services for fifteen years that inherently knows the problems of a social services client before that client even calls. So the client calls on an exploratory call, hey, we're interested in this or a prospect, if the AMA can say, okay, I know you're dealing with X, Y, and Z, that just validates why that person called you and that you're an expert in that space. That doesn't come from anything other than experience in a lot of cases. Right. You know? No and, question. And that's just a tough thing to replicate to somebody who's been in the game for two years or three years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So who drives this initiative? I think that it's top down. I think it's got to be, <clears throat> I, what I've seen typically is HR tries to. Mm -hmm. Right. Every HR person out there wants to have the time and the ability to have an awesome onboarding experience because they sweat so hard getting that person to walk through the door. And so too often I see that person walk through the door. HR has, you know, a couple of days with them and now they're off into the, to the races and HR right. is having to go back and go back and do it again. That's right. That's yeah. right. Go back and do it again. And then our, then if your turnover is not where you need it to be, HR is like, dang it, I didn't have the time. And so, again, it's about that size, about the investment. But I think that a commitment from the top has to say, 
we have we either have mediocre training and that's translating to poor retention that's translating to unhappy clients and the eno issues because of gaps so we need to relook at this whole deal and kind of blow it up and, and figure out how we make this better mm-hmm. you know one department in the organization cannot do it alone it's impossible you know and so i think the owners have to be committed to making that better that's a challenge sometimes because the owners are very willing to invest in the producer education and producer onboarding to, to some extent, right? But I haven't seen that same uh, fervor around regular staff, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yeah, exactly. I guess I'm trying, I, I want to ask, an owner says, okay, I, I buy into this. I, I understand we need to do more to be able to keep our staff. What are some first steps? I mean, how do you get started? That I guess I'm, sure. I'm. What I'm hearing is, okay, yeah, I get it. Now, what do I do? Well, I think first and foremost is kind of like what you said: is who's doing what, right? And that comes from the job descriptions, right? Okay. Having a good understanding of those roles and what the responsibilities are, and then at that point, it's what are going to be the most conducive to bring the experience and the culture of your organization, and if that's you know, you spend, I would love to see each person that comes into our spot spend a week in the different departments, mm-hmm. right? To understand the whole systemic the whole, flow of it, mm-hmm. right? Break down those silos. You know, if, if you're an employee benefits person, you spend a week over in PNC, that communication, you're less siloed, you know? But I think it's it's a difficult thing to, to actually start. I think that you've got to start with the job descriptions. At that point, you need to analyze what your current hiring process is, your current onboarding process, because you have one regardless, right? You either have, you have some kind of onboarding process today. Right. It, it's either good or it's bad. I can tell you that all of them need improvement. It's just one of those things that constantly moves along, you know. How are you engaging that employee? How are you communicating with that employee? How are you setting expectations? Like, we've tried a buddy program at our spot, right, mm-hmm. where we match them up with kind of a buddy. Bud is a word that is used at the Crichton Group all the time. Okay. Bud, hey, bud, how are you? <laughs> so we have a buddy program when they come in, and this person's supposed to take them to lunch and kind of walk them around and be their first point of contact, you know. Are those effective? How do you iterate through that? I mean, those are the challenges. And so I think really you just got to start trying stuff. Mm-hmm. Get your job descriptions. Figure out what your primary weakness is. If it's, if it's hey, man, our folks are not understanding the system, then that is a technology issue. You know, what do they need to fill out? How do we train them up on that? If it's a gap issue, a coverage issue, then that means your education is not on point. And maybe you're, br- you're, you're putting people that are not as seasoned as they need to be in positions where they shouldn't be, you know? Well, and I'm thinking... Um, even adding to that uh, a meeting I'm not sure what that would look like if there are multiple people but with the CEO sure sure a here's our culture yeah Here, here's here's where we came from here's mm-hmm. who we are here's how we want to treat our clients I mean trying to communicate that culture of the organizations to somebody new coming in I think is really key and and I, I like too. the buddy idea just cross right departments get get a feel for the whole organization not just my tiny little piece here um, well, you got to figure out why that employee is staying with you and not going to a larger broker I mean and typically that answer is going to be because you feel more family right mm-hmm. I feel like you care about me more than one of those multi-billion dollar brokers would right but then you've got to really promote that in the organization and make sure that your culture coincides with that. 
right. you know, and takes advantage of your smallness and your ability to promote that family kind of feeling, you know. And so I think that that process is, is critical to that. If you can if you can inundate them with the culture that they bought into to get through the door initially and they start feeling, oh, yeah, I feel that, you know, I, I, this is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking engagement. You right. talk engagement, you win. Yep. What other key roadblocks, obstacles to creating a process have you seen? Focus. I mean, I think focus is the big one. You know, I think that we like to be able to say, hey, we did this and we're done with it and we move forward, right? And then a lot of times you, you maybe you come up with three steps to an onboarding process and now your onboarding is done and you don't talk about that for another eight months and you just assume that the onboarding process is working. And then you walk past a staff member and you say, hey, how was your onboarding? And they look at you and say, well, what onboarding? Right. And say, well, damn, I just put this in place. Right. You know, this is one of those things, just like any other project that we have and that we do in these agencies, because everybody does so much in an agency. Right. I mean, everybody has multiple hats. And so you've got to constantly come back and iterate. And again, I think that comes from the top. I mean, if your if your management says this year we are going to get better at onboarding, we are going to, you know, at, by the end of the year, we are going to be able to ask that question to new hires. They're going to say, yes, we have an onboarding experience. And yes, here's our culture. And yes, this is this is what my job is here. And this is how I move the needle. To me, that's all indicative of onboarding, right? It's, it's I want to make sure that person knows how to be successful. And when they walk out that door, they can say, I did what I needed to do today to be successful. And if you've done a good job at onboarding, that's how they feel, at least in my head conceptually. Mm-hmm. But I think that the lack of focus, the not giving HR the resources that they need, again, my take on it today, HR is the most important department you have because those are the people that are bringing the new blood to you, whatever that blood looks like, if it's seasoned folks or new folks. But they are the ones that are bringing in the innovation, the ideas, the the the, the energy. And so you've got to help them retain those employees. And, and I guess the thought that came to mind is your HR people should be doing that. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and I always think about you know, smaller organizations who don't have an HR person. That's right. Well, actually, that's not true. Every organization has an HR person. <laughs> right. Whether they have the title or not that's is right. certainly a different question. Uh, so it, you know, whether you have an individual that's specific to that role or position or, you know, you're the agency owner and you're hiring, thinking about not just hiring, which is, again, a huge issue, but you want to keep that person and you want to make sure that they um, they stay as long as possible. And you want to make sure as early as possible, if they aren't the right fit, that you make that change. Yeah, you can get them out of there. Get them out of there. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, that sounds um, callous, I think. But the reality is you're not doing them a service and you're certainly not doing the organization a th- service. That actually makes me think of Tony Shea at uh, Zappos. <clears throat> and they they're onboarding process for new employees after they go through right all the hiring stuff is a it was i i actually don't know currently what it is but it was a two-week class course you know all the culture all here service all the you know training on the systems and all of that kind of stuff and the very last day they would offer and the amount has changed That's over right. the years they the last number i heard they would offer two thousand dollars that's all right that's what i know to any person who's gone through the two weeks to, to leave. Yep. And, and again, you go think about that, but but their whole focus on customer service, which certainly is what they're known for, if that two thousand dollars is more important to that person than staying on the job, then they don't want them on 
on a phone talking to a customer. That's right. When people talk about Zappos, they talk about their customers, their employees, their customer support, the culture that they've created there, right. you know? And so I think that, you know, we often talk about having super fans in our organization, super employees, super engaged employees, but then owners need to be able to give up the money, reinvest the money that they need to, to make sure that your staff has the capability to bring that to fruition. You know, and I really feel like that's a that's a critical component of it. If you have a hundred person organization and you got one HR person, you probably don't have onboarding because it's very difficult, right? They've probably tried to do stuff here or there, but they've got all this admin stuff to do. They've got uh, just a, an inordinate amount of things with just keeping just compliance. That's right, right? That's employee right. compliance stuff. Yeah, and so I, I think <clears throat> that you've got to be able to staff appropriately. You've got to be able to give the resources to your management teams that they are asking for to be able to create the culture that you ultimately desire. Yeah, and I would suggest uh, to those listening to this who are, want to try and do something, you know, take a look, uh, ask your, your state uh, insurance agents association, you know, do you have any tools there? Can you create something that we can use as a template so we're not starting completely from scratch? So I, I think there potentially are some resources out there for you. You just have to be intentional about looking for them, finding them, tweaking them to fit your culture, your way of doing things, and then just begin with something. Start with something. It's going to be better than not having anything at all. Do you think there's anything more critical to the success and the longevity of an employee than than a, a good onboarding process? I think a good onboarding process will lead to that employee, we've talked about it, being engaged or or seeing the potential of what they can do in that organization and that will lead to them training themselves right so they again my idea back to we don't tell you what training you tell us what training you need to be successful right. based on the job description and i think that process helps that employee see the future mm -hmm. of what c can happen within the organization yeah. And, and I think that's key. Yeah, because I think that's the forge, right? That's the forge where you start banging into what are your what are the goals of the organization? Where do we want to be? What do we want to do? Who do we want to be? Um, you know, without that inundation, you, you, they're filling that with something, right? They're filling all of those questions with some kind of answer. Without that onboarding process, I think it's it's left up to individual managers and team members to fill that gap. Right. And in some cases, you may not want that to be the, 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 the deal. What they hear. That's right. Right. That's right. What, what they're trained about. Yeah. Yeah. So taking control of that, I think, is a great thing. Mm -hmm. I agree. And again, even more important, as we look at the demographic shifts that are going on within our industry, I, I just think it's a vital issue. Mm -hmm. Me too. Great discussion, Ryan. Appreciate it. And uh, until next show, uh, thanks for listening. And this is Steve Anderson with Ryan Deeds. Happy day, guys. This has been another episode of the Digital Broker Podcast with Steve Anderson and Ryan Deeds. Send us your questions and comments. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. This podcast is brought to you by NDO Technologies. NDO provides insurance agents a first-rate client experience by turning the application renewal, and accord submission process into an easy-to-use, fully digital experience. As a result, agencies using Indio are able to retain and acquire more business. To learn more about Indio and why agencies such as Risk Strategies, ABD, and Heffernan Insurance use Indio, go to 
www.useindio.com. That's use, U-S-E, indio, I-N-D-I-O, dot com.